Welcome to the Chicago Golf Report Podcast, brought to you by ChicagoGolfReport.com, covering everything golf in Chicago. Our guest this episode is golf course architect Joe Jemsek. Joe is the president of Jemsek Design and has worked on over 90 projects in 29 different countries around the world. Some of his local projects include Plumtree National, Foss Park, and the Sunshine Course in Lamont. Joe is also a member of arguably Chicago's first family of golf. His grandfather was the legendary Joe Jemsek Sr., and the Jemsek name is still synonymous with Chicago golf. You can learn more about Joe and Jemsek Design at jemsekgolfdesign.com. Why don't we begin by, uh, if you could talk a little bit about your background and how you became interested in golf course design and golf course architecture. Sure. Well, you know, obviously I grew up in the golf business. Um, You know, I always said I had the world's largest backyard because, you know, we grew up around St. Andrew's Golf Club out in West Chicago, Illinois. And, you know, I took, you know, as as a young boy, most of my days were spent hawking golf balls and catching frogs and anything else that moved out on the golf course. And then I would bring all my wares back to the driving range and try to sell the golf balls I'd found and play with the frogs until the end of the day and then return them back to their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until maybe I was in high school that uh, I was out um, four-wheeling in some uh, farm property uh, with some friends and we get this truck stuck in the mud because, truth be told, we didn't really have a four-wheeling truck. We just had a two-wheel truck, but we were playing in the mud with it. And uh, we're in there pushing this truck out of the mud. I go tap my buddy on the shoulder and say, hey, hey, look, there could be a par four right here. We'll, we'll play down this hill, and then we'll build a lake there, and we'll turn around to the right and, you know, build some bunkers over there. And, you know, my buddy re- referred to, replies to me. He goes, all I see is corn, dude, but just keep pushing this truck, and let's get this <laughs> out of here now. Um, but later on, you know, he actually pulled me aside. He goes, you know, if you see golf courses out, you know, in the farm fields and in the forest and things like that, then that's something you should maybe think about pursuing because all we see is corn. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so then that's sort of how it started. I started drawing, you know, my father would give me a map of a piece of, a ground, or a piece of dirt and I would start drawing golf courses on it or, um, you know, he had friends of his who were golf course designers that um, – he would then send that stuff to, and they would make critiques, revisions, and then send it back to me. So we started sort of designing these, you know, uh, fantasy or, you know, golf courses on different pieces of ground. And so that's how it kind of all started. And what gives you fulfillment then uh, through after going through the process of educating yourself and getting all this experience and working with as many different designers as you have, what now, you know, pretty advanced in your career, what gives you fulfillment when you're working on a project? You know, each project is different. You know, um, some projects, you know, you're just, you know, you're you're in a really tight budget, so you're trying to create a lot of value for an, an owner. Um, you know, the goal is not top 100 tournament golf. It's just creating a nice place for people to play golf. Um, you know, sometimes there's, you know, clients that want nothing less than the world's greatest new golf course. They want you to kind of push the envelope. And, um, you know, sometimes that is more difficult than, hey, let's just create a nice, playable golf course. People will enjoy it. It'll be easy to maintain. Um, 
you know, something that'll be, um, you know, will last a long time. Um, I think I get a lot of enjoyment out of just watching people play golf on the courses I've designed. Um, my first course in outside Atlanta, Georgia, called Summer Grove, I stayed on as the assistant manager afterwards. So every day I got to f- get that feedback from golfers. They would come off and they would either they would curse the ninth hole because it was too hard, but they would tell me how much they loved the fifth hole because it was easy and they could make birdies. And that sort of helped me develop my uh, design style, so to speak, um, to try to create these holes that become memorable over time. You know, people talk about them because they're hard, or they talk about them because they're easy. You know, the holes so, in between sort of get lost. Mm-hmm. So taking that feedback that you had from your first course, you know, where you stayed on as the manager and you're able to get that feedback constantly afterwards, after the design, do you take a little bit of that with you then in your future designs? I mean, is that something you kind of uh, remind yourself of? Is like, oh, you know, I wonder what the feedback will be here and then adjust accordingly? You know, I, I, I maybe you don't try to think about that, but I think of the design side, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what golf course design is, you know, we're not creating something new. A lot of times it is taking old ideas and adapting it to a new environment. Um, you know, you'll be standing out there on a raw piece of ground and you'll say, I remember that hole we sort of built on over there, has similar setup here, it's got the hill, it's got the lake. You know, that was really successful. You know, we could do something like that here, but we'll change it up because there's a tree that we don't want to we want to save or there's some different natural roles that we want to save and this is how we'll adjust something we've done in the past to fit in here. Um, you know, so I think it's a lot of it is, you know, using what's successful and then repeating it. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say we're just copying the same old holes. Uh, you know, every hole is unique and individual because of the setting or, uh, you know, something you may have done on a par four and now you do it on a par five with a different strategy. So what would be some of the things that uh, courses are looking to do? You know, you talked about that a lot of the work that you do is kind of taking something old and kind of bringing it into um, where we are right now. Uh, what are what are kind of the projects that you work on right now consistently, and what are the goals of those projects that you're brought in to kind of achieve? I think uh, I'm working right now with a golf course called Plum Tree National up in Harvard, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And it's an it's an old Joe Lee design, which I'm very familiar with. I worked for Joe. Um, he was one of my first mentors. Um, you know, and it was a golf course that, over time, sort of everything had, all the, the edges have been lost. Um, you know, the greens, you know, the Joe Lee's greens with these elbows and corners that you could sort of hide the pin around bunkers have all sort of been rounded off and lost. So all the pins sort of become a middle pin, you know, a middle front, middle back. Um, but you lose these edges and these corners, these pin positions that really add a lot of interest. Um, you know, to the bunkers, again, all the shaping had sort of been lost. It um, been rounded out for either ease of maintenance or just the natural, you know, bunker decay, we call it. Um, you know, as the shaping or the, the wiggles, you know, the walkouts um, are just lost over time. Mm-hmm. 
So we're trying to add a little sex appeal to the golf course. Um, and, you know, these are small changes that people notice, but things that can happen over time, it's not something we're going to go in and shut the course down for a year and rebuild the whole golf course. But these are just small improvements that we can make over time um, that have a big impact. Talk a little bit about uh, a, a project that you were involved with here uh, in Lamont, actually, uh, for the Sunshine course. You know, that was that was a fun project. It was... Um, the concept was it was going to be a three-hole turf grass research facility. It was also needed to be handicap accessible. Um, today they run, you know, hundreds of kids through there with special needs and beginner golf. Um, so, as a golf course designer, it was it was trying to create something that was going to be very opening and friendly to the golf, uh, to any golfer who teed off. Um, you know, the first hole, no bunkers. You know, the green is kind of built in a, a big catcher's mitt so that shots that go right bounce and come back into the, uh, come back left. Same thing, shots that go left bounce, come back to the right. Things that are long are caught. Things that are short sort of kick and run. So I was trying to create something that would be, you know, really welcoming to the game of golf because I knew a lot of people that was going to be their first experience on a golf course. Um, you know, Wadsworth Construction out of a, uh, Plainfield and all, I built it, and uh, you know, so there it was. It was more about trying to create something that you know never been done before. It's a it's a turf grass research facility that's built in the real world, so that you know you really have divots out there. It's not this. It's beyond the um, academic um, study of the grass. You know, mm-hmm. there they're actually using real world results, and hopefully, that gives them a better understanding of how they can maintain turf grass for real golf courses. I guess uh, uh, one of the, the um, I, I think, main things that a lot of people, um, uh, the differences between what you, you are probably, with your background and your experience, you probably see a golf course, I would imagine, a little bit different than a traditional golfer, you know, who just plays on the weekend. Talk a little bit about the things that golfers maybe should look at on a course or maybe even notice that maybe they've never considered before? Yeah, you know, I think the hardest thing is golfers, they get to the first tee, they pick out the driver, and they hit the ball. You know, they look out there, okay, there's a bunker left, okay, so I'm going to hit the ball. They don't really plan the strategy of how they want to play the golf course. Um, I think golfers benefit most by taking a good look on which holes they need to hit driver on and which holes they're better off putting it into a specific position. Um, you know, often I see these, you know, people really love short par fours because they can hit their driver close to the green, but then they leave this awkward pitch shot, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards that they're just not that familiar with. And even though they're close to the hole, they don't end up getting it close. Whereas if they hit their shot to 100, 120 yards, shot that they're more familiar with, they'd have a better opportunity to get the ball close. Some people think that takes the fun out of the game, but that's the strategy of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of the first thing is you need to plan your way around the golf course. It shouldn't be as... A lot of people react to what they did in the last hole or um, react to what they see in front of them mm-hmm. rather than having a, maybe a plan before they even get to the golf course. Um, Does um, 
being a, uh, a a designer then and having the experiences that you've had, you know, and especially of, of taking the time and you know working on a Joe Lee course and kind of taking it to this next level. Um, and I'm assuming you play golf as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I played with some success in high school. You know, um, you know, medaled in tournaments and things like that, but never to the point where I thought I'd make a career of it. Mm-hmm. I was able, I was fortunate enough to play golf in college for two years. Um, but again, you know, I was a member of the team. I enjoyed playing, but I was not setting the world on fire, so to speak. And how has your experience then, being a designer, changed that? Uh, experience for you as a golfer, knowing what you now know and how all the things that go into, you know, that's sort of below, beneath the surface, uh, how has that changed the experience of playing golf for you? I think what it's done is I've learned how to play the game. Again, as as a child, you just sort of up there and you hit the ball as hard as you could, and then you found it and you hit it as close to the pin as you could. Um, Now I definitely plot my way around the golf course more, I, uh, it takes a lot of discipline to say, I'm not going to hit my driver on this 300-yard hole. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to hit a hybrid out there, get it to get a wedge in my hand, and that's going to be the best opportunity for me to make a, a birdie or a low score. Um, so now I have good days and I have bad days, but my scoring always kind of seems to be pretty close. Where when I was a kid I could score, I could shoot 75 one day and 90 the next. Mm-hmm. Um, now I always sort of keep it somewhere around 80, you know, some days better, some days worse, but, you know, my margin of error seems to have narrowed. Mm-hmm. Which is good, I, because I think uh, that's probably something that plagues a lot of golfers uh, who only play once or twice a week, is that they have that big disparity where they could have one great round and then the next round and they're left with nothing but questions at that point. Absolutely. So, um, uh is, is since you you know coming from arguably the first family of golf in Chicago, um you're you're certainly you're I'm, I would definitely imagine you're aware of pretty much every course in the Chicagoland area. Um are there any specific holes, golf holes that kind of um, and this might be a little difficult for you to kind of answer right now, but any specific golf holes that you really uh, respect and admire uh, outside of, you know, your own, you know, the GEMSEC properties? Sure. Um, you know, growing up, uh, there were elements to golf holes. Maybe I really enjoyed more than, um, you know, for instance, I played Beverly Country Club for the first time, and I was probably... I'm probably 22, somewhere around that, and uh, wasn't familiar with the course, hadn't been around it, and, you know, we get to what's the eighth hole today, I believe, and it kind of had a punch bowl green, and it was the first hole I'd ever played with a real punch bowl green. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for those who don't know, the punch bowl is kind of a, again, it's a big catcher's mitt where all the balls tend to funnel into the same spot. Sometimes there's actually a place where they'll actually all collect on the green or they'll spill off to one side. Um, and then there had been a whole back tier that had been built. So the screen has just got all this elevation and contour now, and it's 40 yards deep on, again, a 385-yard hole. It's a hole that you would just wouldn't look at at the scorecard, wouldn't jump out at you, but I really fell in love with that green. I was really excited by that green. Um, you know, playing 
uh, golf holes at Kemper Lakes was maybe the first kind of in-your-face golf design, and maybe that's, you know, where you had to hit it around the lakes, and the lakes were there the whole way along, and, you know, you get to the back nine, there was a, the short par five, I think it's 12 or 13, that, you know, if you hit a really great drive, then you have to hit a really great three-wood, and it's an all the, you had to carry it all the way over the lake, um, you know, to get home in two, but it was possible, it was, you know, it was a 520-ish hole, if I remember correctly, um, you know, and then holes, I guess iconic holes, you know, Ruffle Feathers was probably among the first island par threes I'd ever played. Um, you know, that that hole, you'd seen it on TV, was sort of a replica. Um, you know, that one hole definitely stood out. So, wow, that's different. It's something new. Mm-hmm. And you're referring to number 11 at Ruffle Feathers. That's correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, courses I really enjoyed playing uh, when I grew up golf courses like the Burn down in Norway, Illinois, which was, you know, guy had gone out and built himself his own golf course and, uh, you know, had just such a great piece of ground um, that the golf holes were really exciting. Without 10 bunkers on the holes, it was just the way they fell and rolled over the ground and you'd tee off on these high bluffs into the valleys. And those were always holes that I was always very excited about. Talk a little bit about uh, how you look at it as, as being a um, you know a younger golf course architect and designer. How do you look at it when uh, you have uh, societies and, and almost to the point where golf course architects that are, are are kind of gone and deceased have now become heroes and rock stars? And you know you talk about somebody like Donald Ross who has his own society and has people who literally um, you know really devote a lot of their time to playing his courses and kind of. Uh, trying to emulate that feeling they get. How does that make you feel as a uh, emerging designer and, and kind of what you want to accomplish in your field? You know, I'd like to... One thing I can say, having worked for a lot of golf course architects, is that most of us are egomaniacs. <laughs> I mean, we are. It's You know, when people are on site, it's, you know, it's the artist in us plus the engineer. Um, you know, it's got to be this way and you know this bunker moves three feet it changes everything you know when maybe it really does and i'm not sure um, <laughs> so you know guys really i think they tend to gravitate towards what people that help their own game good players like to play donald ross golf courses because you have to be a good player to play a donald ross golf course um you know I'm sure some of it's the snob appeal of, you know, playing a Tillinghast golf course because most of those are all private or, um, you know, Seth Raynard, C.B. McDonald. I mean, those probably have the greatest sense of risk-reward um, design, you know, that most people can play. Um, um, I shouldn't say that most people can play, but those golf courses probably have the greatest sense of risk-reward. Um, you know, I I like to to think someday maybe there'll be a cult following of people who want to play Jemsek-designed golf courses. Um, you know, for now, I'm just, I'm happy that guy, you know, I meet somebody and they say, hey, I played your golf course here and I really enjoyed that fourth hole. That was a great hole. I think that that's enough for me right now. <laughs> when, you know, you mentioned about the kind of the conundrum you have as being an artist and yet 
sort of a designer and engineer. Um, how do you balance that? Because if you think about when you're you talk about an artist, say musicians and and rock stars, that's always that big push pull. They don't want to sacrifice their their uh, artistic integrity and their vision. But for you, it's it's very important because you're you have a master in terms of who you're designing the course for the, the owners, and yet you you also have to balance the the engineering component in that. But then, like you said, you, you, to to satisfy your ego and your vision of what it is, that's got to be a big pulling point. So how do you kind of balance all of those uh, different features? You know, I think you just you sort of pick your battles. Um, you know, most designers members when you give them a drawing, they, you know, immediately gravitate to the holes with water, and they say, that one's too hard, or that's too easy. Um, but ultimately, they really don't know what they're looking at on the two-dimensional side. So when you get out in the field, you can draw whatever you like on paper. But when you get out in the field, everything changes, and it's how it fits your eye. So there it's, you know, again, setting up something that you like, and then making all the engineering and um, design portion work backwards. So come up with a concept and then figure out the drainage, or drainage mostly, engineering, on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. Um, satisfying the artistic, you know, the artistic, the design and art, artistic stuff really comes in about the last 12 inches of, you know, of work. You know, I can I can change a green by six inches and give it a, a completely different character by turning it one way versus another. Um, so all that stuff gets done in the field, and that's, I think, really where the, the artistry comes in is, you know, that last 12 foot or 12 inches or, you know, on greens, those last couple inches just to get the shaping so the balls will move the way you want them. Yeah, that, that's very interesting to know because I don't think uh, most golfers realize that. It's, I would guess they would probably think it's the opposite, you know, where all the artistic elements have to begin at the beginning, but uh, that's great to hear. Uh, so I guess one last uh, follow-up question then for you, um, and I think probably a lot of people in the Chicagoland area would love to hear. Kind of, uh, Can you give us a, a one kind of story or, or history uh, around your family and kind of what it was like to grow up, you know, with having so many people who've had, uh, you know, a family that's made such a big impact on Chicago golf with all the different courses and the, the hospitality and kind of setting the stage for public golf probably in the in the United States. Can you give us kind of a, a story or a feeling of what it was like to, to grow up, uh, you know, having that kind of uh, reach and impact on golfers and in, in basically throughout the, the country? You know, it's funny. I uh, as I travel around the country and I meet people, ultimately when I introduce myself, they hear the last name and they sort of I get this look like there's a recognition. You can see that the the mouse is spinning and and the wheels are moving and um, they're trying to figure out how they know the name. So all over the country they've heard the name. Um, now I can specifically recall I was working with. Pete Dye on a project with Jack Nicholas, and so I'm in the design office with Nicholas in West Palm Beach, Florida, or North Palm Beach, Florida, and I introduce myself to Jack Nicholas, and he's staring at me, he, and he asks if we'd met before. And I said, <laughs> you know, we did, but I was 12 years old at the 1990 U.S. Open, or 92 U.S. Open, or whatever uh, U.S. Open was at Medina, mm-hmm. and uh, he realized then my grandfather, and he sort of connected all the dots. Um 
so that's always kind of on you know a little humbling um you know I'm proud to be f- from the family that has this great reputation that you know even if I don't get the job uh, as the golf course design side at least they they enjoy meeting me and they want to hear the stories and um you know there's there's a pretty good legacy to come into um you know I in the golf course design field at least you know, I'm not a major champion winner like a lot of the guys I compete against, and um, you know, I don't have a ton of product out there. But uh, you know, there is a little bit of name recognition, which is always nice. Um, as far as stories growing up, you know, just taking family vacations. You know, my father can't walk through the airport without running into a half a dozen people he knows. You know, and and now I see my sister the same way. You know, she's walking through the airports. And, Role. Oh, Catherine, nice to see you. Oh, Frank, great to see you. Um, so it, it's a good to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, maybe the first time I ever got asked for an autograph, I was playing in a, a pro-am at the Western Open. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was playing with Peter Jacobson or someone. Um, you know, and they Peter, Peter, can we get your autograph? Joe, can we have your autograph? And, you know. Why would you want my autograph? You know, I'm excited, you know, <laughs> to sign autographs and do things like that and not really mm-hmm. understand understand why, but not, you know, wonder if they understood who I was. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so then, you, been, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was, and so then, you know, playing in those pro-ams was pretty fun. Maybe the uh, a good story was... One year, I I was able to play with the defending champion, who happened to be Tiger Woods. So it's '97, '98. It's in the height of Tiger mania, all the rest of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're playing the Dubstrike course. We get to the ninth hole, which is a fairly long par five. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, they've got the white, the four, the, the regular tees pushed really far up. So I hit my drive all the way to the cart path that crosses the fairway. So I have about 240 yards or something like that to the hole. You know, there's Two or three thousand people around watching, and uh, you know it's probably a shot that's a little bit beyond my three wood comfortability. Um, so I pull out an iron. I'm just going to lay it out there. You know, it's about fifty yards because I'm pretty good at that shot. And just as I'm about to, I'm pulling out the iron. My grandfather drives up, and he's looking at me with this iron, and he's shaking his head because he's disappointed <laughs> I'm laying up because I have a chance to go for it. So got to go back to the bag. I pull the three-wood, and I just hit this balloon shot straight up into the air. It doesn't go more than 200 yards. It plops me right down in the middle of the bunker, um, short of the green. So now i got this really odd 60, 70-yard bunker shot to a pin that's a course right behind the bunker. Um, you know, so now I'm just utterly embarrassed. And by then, my grandfather's gone. He, you know, he doesn't want to see it. So I get, you know, get to the bunker shot, and I hit this, Amazing bunker shot to about six feet. Everyone's clapping and yelling, and um, I go up and I miss the putt anyway, so it doesn't matter. But, you know, just everyone remembers me hitting that good bunker shot. They don't know how I got there or why I was in the bunker, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was a shot where if my grandfather hadn't showed up, I probably would lay up and probably would have just made par, and it wouldn't have been that interesting. But, um, you know, having to feeling like I had to go for it and trying something that I wasn't comfortable with and having a good result was was uh, maybe a good analogy to what it is life's like. That's a great point. And, and to have that memory of 
your grandfather there <laughs> shaking his head and knowing that, okay, you know, I have to, I really have to make a run at this. That's a terrific story. This has been the Chicago Golf Report podcast. Visit chicagogolfreport.com right now for exclusive discount offers, Chicago golf news, and in-depth event listings.